Welcome to The Joy Randolph Show. Today I'm talking about how I rescued my 30s and the eight lessons I wish I would have known so much sooner. Why say the phrase rescued my 30s? That sounds kind of strange, right? How do you rescue your 30s? Well, it really starts with one thought I had and really a question I have for you, which is if you were to keep doing the same things you have been doing, how will that manifest in your life in the next 10 years? In other words, how will your life change in the next 10 years? For most people, including myself, I came to the realization that my life would not change. If I am not exercising, if I am not eating healthy foods, if I am not working on my business, if I am not working on my goals, there is a 100% guarantee that I will not achieve my goals. And when I really came to this realization and I realized that unless I am willing to change my behaviors, my thoughts, my beliefs, and unless I'm willing to work through my emotions, my childhood, really all my limiting beliefs, unless I'm willing to do both things, what will end up happening is, is that I will keep repeating the same behaviors. I will keep struggling in the same rut. I will keep living the same life and my life isn't really going to change. And you've probably seen this. There are people you know in your life right now, and I just invite you to imagine, that really haven't changed. You can look at where they've been over the last 10 years and you're like, this person is still practically the same. And not only are they the same, their life really hasn't changed. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If you are enjoying your life, if you are having a great time and you don't need your life to change, well, great. And if you're just willing to go with whatever changes come because that's just who you are, then great. There's That's perfectly fine. However, there is also a saying that is, how is this working out for you? In other words, if you feel like you would actually like things in your life to be different in the next 10 years. You would like to have a deeper marriage or you'd like to have a greater relationship with your kids and for your kids to be even healthier and stronger, and more resilient than they are right now. If you wish that you could have a better career or you could have more money, like I don't know what it is that you desire that you feel like you don't have right now, but I know that if you know that you wish something in your life was different, that you probably also know that change is required. If you're new here, welcome to The Joe Randall Show, a podcast for mothers to discover simple and easy ways to increase your feeling of joy every day. I'm your host, Joe Randolph. I'm a well-being coach, and I'm also a wife and mother that's obsessed with figuring out how we can create a healthier and happier life for ourselves, but also for our families. On this show, I share how we can have more joy in our relationships, in our family, in our career, and in our health. The reason I'm thinking about this is that it happens to be my 32nd birthday this week. Yay, it's my birthday. And although I am, I wouldn't say excited because I don't know who really gets excited about their birthdays once you hit a certain age, but I have been thinking about what I've learned in the last year and also how I want my future to turn out. Because one of the things that I realized this year was that if I want to experience certain things in my life, if I want certain aspects of my life to change, I have to change. And so this last year has actually been a major year of personal change. I've been changing my thoughts. I've been changing my beliefs. I've been changing my attitude. I've been changing my day-to-day -day behavior. I've been changing so many aspects about myself in order to use my 30s as a period for building the life that I want as a married woman with children. And the reason why I say a married woman with children is because 
What I have personally found is that when I was single and when I was in my 20s, it was really easy for me to get clear on what my goals are, what my needs are, and to meet my own needs and to just go after things. But what I also found was that after I got married and particularly after I had children, my needs and my goals became less of a priority. And before I knew it, it was definitely last. My kids' needs would always come first. My husband's needs would always be something I would think about. My marriage stuff, if you know, my husband and I were having a fight or going through something, it would take so much of my headspace and my energy that I would end up not having any energy for myself, my health, my career, my passions, my inspirations, I wouldn't have anything for it. And when I came to the realization that, you know what, actually, if I don't make a conscious decision on how I want to spend my time, if I don't make a conscious decision on what I want and where I'm going and how to achieve that and really make a commitment, what's going to happen is I'm going to be really stuck in the patterns of neglecting my needs and neglecting my goals. And anyone that neglects their needs and their goals, you already know this. You know that it's impossible to achieve your goals if you neglect your goals. It's impossible to feel like yourself and be happy with yourself if you're neglecting yourself. It's impossible to fill up your needs if you neglect your needs. And so I realized this in my, well, when I turned 31 and I knew that I needed to make a change. So I really wanted to create this episode to share with you the key lessons I've learned in this process, because I know that I can now use this time to build my life as opposed to remaining stagnant in my life. The first thing I learned is that commitment in marriage is everything. Without it, you don't have a marriage. So I'm not going to go into the details of the challenges I've had in my marriage, because that's something that I do feel uncomfortable discussing on the internet. However, I will share a key learning. When I went into marriage, I knew that love is important. Obviously, you don't want to marry someone if you don't love them. It's important that you love them. And really, you are vowing to love them forever till death do us part. However, one of the things that has really come up for me is that when you've been married for some time and once you've your marriage has started to absorb the pressures of children, of finances, of a mortgage, of the pandemic. I think a lot of people were affected the pandemic in some way. Once your marriage starts to absorb all of that stuff, it's quite natural for love to not be at the center of your marriage. Not because you don't love that person, but because everything else has become the center of your lives. You're not dating as much. You're not connecting as much. You're not being as intimate as you used to be. And therefore, love isn't necessarily a feeling that you are aware of, I would say present to. It's definitely there, but you're not as present to it. Now, when you have problems, when you have marital problems, what I've realized is that it's very easy to kind of butt heads and to bicker and to fight about stuff. And for the, the same fights to keep reoccurring, to keep happening again and again, because really in that relationship, there are issues that haven't yet been resolved. And if people are changing in a relationship, it's hard to figure out how that can be resolved until I realized that actually the key thing that I need to learn is actually how to be committed. A lot of people get divorced. And by the way, this is not a knock on divorce. If someone is divorced and the heartbreak um, you went through. And there are so many reasons why people divorce. And the process of divorce, from what I've heard, is extremely painful and exhausting. 
At the same time, I also feel like sometimes divorcing can feel like um, an end to a relationship. When you are in the thick of difficulties, it can be tempting to want an end to a relationship if you feel like there isn't any other way for the issues that you're experiencing to end. But, there's a big but here, but if I experience and work through my marriage as a commitment, as something where there is no option for me to quit, there is no option for me to, to divorce, and therefore we, my husband and I, we have to figure this out because I don't know how long we're going to be alive for. We could be alive until our 90s. If we don't figure out a way to make our union happy together, not just livable, not just getting along, but to be really happy together, then we will constantly have issues. And over time, our relationship will part ways. Now, some people might divorce, but a lot of people, they stay together, but there still isn't that closeness. There still isn't that joy, that uh, love and intimacy in a marriage. You know, some people live in separate bedrooms and they don't feel as though they are understood by their partner. They don't feel close to their partner. And there can really be a sense of loneliness in a marriage, which some people in their 20s or 30s might not experience, but all you have to do is listen to couples in their 40s and 50s to realize that this is actually really, really common. And it is bound to happen unless you commit to having joy in your marriage. And that was really the big aha moment. I had to commit to having joy in my marriage and my husband needed to have that same commitment. We both needed to be aligned on that so that when we are going through our, you know, every relationship has its ups and its downs, but when we are going through the down period, we can use our commitment to having joy in our marriage as our North Star, as our guide, as the hand that is helping us out of this, as opposed to being committed to, let's say, love. If you're committed to love and you're fighting in your marriage and you're not feeling the love, well, if your commitment to feeling love, loved is there, if you don't feel loved, why would you stay in a relationship? Like you have every reason to think, I want to feel loved. I want to feel taken care of. I want to feel da 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 And so if you're not feeling it and you don't feel like your partner is going to give it, then understandably, you're out. You're done. However, if you commit to feeling joy in your marriage, no matter what, and your partner commits to that, you will find a way out. And that's one of the things that I really learned. And I wish I would have known that sooner because then I would have invested in ways we can have more joy in our relationship more consistently. The second thing is to let go of your need for approval. I'll start by sharing a story about a woman who needed her mother's approval in order for her to feel safe and in order for her to feel okay and in some ways peaceful in her heart. It really started in her childhood when her mother would give her so much affection, so much love, so much attention, so much joy, and that feeling would just be everything. Particularly when you're a little child, that love from your mother can feel amazing. But whenever she did something that her mother was disappointed in and her mother didn't approve of, she would experience the complete opposite. Her mother would become cold, would be quite harsh, and would eventually give her the silent treatment. And she would sometimes go days not really speaking to her mother because her mother just wouldn't really talk to her. And it was that contrast of feeling so much love and so much 
appreciation and attention from your mother and then really feeling starved of love from your mother the neglect the the silent treatment that contrast was so difficult that it actually gave her so much anxiety and she lived in this constant anxiety although she wasn't conscious of it she lived in this constant anxiety that if i do something that my mother doesn't approve of i am not okay she ended up developing this belief i am not okay unless my mother approves of me and my life and so the impact of that is that even though she ended up growing up and she became an adult and she could make her own choices she ended up still making choices that were aligned with what she thought her mother wanted her to do she studied the subjects she thought her mother wanted her to study at school she went to the university she thought her mother wanted her to go to she married the kind of man and the man she thought her mother approved of and she also raised her kids in the same way that she knew her mother wanted her grandchildren to be raised. Now, the challenge is, is that when her mother died in her, when this woman was in her 50s, she was distraught because she hadn't actually worked through what's called mother hunger. Mother hunger is when you are deprived of the maternal nurturing, protecting and guidance that you need from a mother. Um, sometimes it could be, it doesn't have to be constant, it can be uh, periodic. And she hadn't worked through her mother hunger. And so when her mother died, she couldn't really process what she felt. She felt relieved that her mother was gone because it meant that she could decide how she wanted to live. But at the same time, she wondered why she felt that relief. And it dawned on her only then that she had lived her entire life for her mother's approval. And when she looked back on her life and she looked back on the choices she'd made, she realized that she had missed out on doing things that really made her happy, on doing things that would have helped her feel as though she lived a life well lived. Why am I sharing this story? I'm sharing this story because if, you're, if you live your life for the approval of your parent or the approval of your friends or the approval of others, it's quite easily to end up building a life based on what everybody else wants and you haven't actually put what you want first and foremost. The sad thing is, is that nobody else can put what you want first. Nobody else can. Your parents can't, your friends can't, and you know, other people in your life, they can't because they live their own life. They have their own choices and decisions to make, and they can make those choices for themselves. However, you are the only person in this entire planet that can make choices for yourself. And unless you are your own advocate, unless you prioritize your needs, you're missing out on so many things. And I personally had the realization that I have, I have been, I wouldn't say am because I'm not anymore, but I have been afraid of what other people think. I have been afraid of what if I do something and someone in my life or someone in my social circle doesn't approve? What if I feel the shame? And shame is such a powerful emotion. There's actually um, a chart where it basically shows the different different emotions that we have and how much energy is in these emotions. Now, when you have the different emotions, whether let's say I don't know, like enlightenment is at the top and you have shame. Shame is actually at the bottom. Shame is the lowest vibrational feeling and emotion that you could have. And when you feel shame, there is no movement. It's hard to 
go after your dreams when you are making decisions out of fear of being shamed. It is very hard to uh, transform your life when you're making decisions out of fear and out of shame. It is very hard to work through certain aspects of your life if you are also experiencing shame. It's very hard to grow or really do anything when you are in the feeling and you are succumb to the overwhelming, crushing feeling of shame. And I knew that I, I can't live that way. I don't want to live that way for the rest of my life. I do not want to be stuck in the shame. I do not want shame to be my prison, the prison of shame. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't want that at all. And the only way for me to unlock the prison door and set myself free is to let go of my need for the approval of others. And oh my gosh, once I came to this realization, it had such enormous impact on my life. The third thing I learned is to heal your trauma from your early years and to make time for your children in their early years. This person had had an interesting childhood. I say interesting because often when we think about trauma, we think about the big T's. We think about, let's say, a car crash or someone that was sexually abused or someone that was in an abusive household. We can imagine those big traumas. And unless you have experienced big traumas like that, it's very easy to look at your childhood and think, well, I didn't actually have a bad childhood. I had parents that loved me. I had parents that sacrificed things for me. I had parents that did their best for me. And when you have those thoughts, it's very easy to ignore some of the ways that maybe you were unintentionally affected that has actually ended up carrying with you for the rest of your life. Now, here's the challenge. If we don't look at our childhood and if we don't look at the negative things, in addition to the positive things, because it's obviously really important that we also see all the good and all the ways our parents did their best for us. It's really important, actually, that we see that and acknowledge that and embrace that, right? That they did their best for us. That is such a beautiful thing. However, if we ignore some of the ways that maybe they made a mistake unknowingly, or maybe they didn't have the tools to support you with, if we ignore that, we are neglecting our inner child that was hurting and that never got a chance to recover. We are neglecting that inner part of ourselves that actually still needs healing. And when we neglect that part of ourselves that still needs healing, Unfortunately, it stays there and it manifests when we grow up. It manifests, particularly when we have our family. So for example, someone who had some stuff come up in their childhood and now in their 30s, it's blowing up in their face. The challenge is, is that this person doesn't really have a solid memory that they can tap into in order to explain the feelings they felt about not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. Um, really, those thoughts, those feelings, they can really actually start from way back. Now, if this person is not feeling good enough, what's the impact of holding on to that belief for the rest of your life, or at least you know, up until the age that you are? If that belief is there, what ends up happening is that you don't feel good enough in a relationship. You don't feel good enough in your career. You don't feel good enough when you're raising your kids. And that can have massive implications. And so you are more likely to sabotage yourself because ultimately you don't believe you can do it anyway. And it's actually really important to heal your early years trauma sooner rather than later. The sooner you heal those aspects of yourself, the easier it is to 
move towards whatever it is that you desire. A lot of the times, so many people are trying to manifest. I want to manifest this in my life. I want to attract and, and, and receive and be abundant and feel joy and be healthy. And it's really hard to actually be healthy if you are stuck in your trauma. A classic example of this, if someone that has had childhood trauma, and I keep saying the word trauma as if it's like big T trauma, but what it really is, is that inner child, that child that experienced something quite a few times in your childhood, where you ended up leaving the situation, feeling sad, doubting yourself, uh, feeling hurt, feeling unsafe, feeling anxious, feeling scared, and those feelings were never resolved. You never, you, you didn't have a grown up to help you process those feelings. You were kind of left to figure it out on your own. And you and I know this. You can't expect a two year old or one year old or a six month old or a five year old or a seven year old or even a thirteen or sixteen year old to figure out things that they find troubling on their own. Even as an adult, as a grown person. <laughs> I sometimes need to speak to a therapist to work through and process things to have my light bulb moment. Even you watching this video, it is an example or listening to this podcast, depending on where you're listening. It is an example of you processing things with another person. Hi, nice to meet you, wherever you're listening to this from. Because right now we're having a conversation, even though you're not necessarily talking right back to me, you are having thoughts as you are listening to this episode. So I say this to say that unless you heal those things that came up for you, it really does manifest in your life as limiting beliefs, as your upper limit, as you know barriers that you're struggling to get through and really as issues that keep coming up and manifesting over and over and over again. It's kind of like, why does, why does this always show up for me? A classic example for this for me is I have a belief that I don't get support. And something happened in my childhood that made me feel that I can't consistently get support. And so because I've had this belief my entire life, when I was trying to find a nanny, I was struggling to find a nanny. I was like, oh, this is further evidence of my belief that I can't get support. When I was, um, after I gave birth to my second daughter and I was in hospital and I was laying on the hospital bed, I was scared of asking for help uh, to get uh, my baby so that I could sit up properly. I wouldn't mind asking if, if a midwife was in the room, but as soon as he left the room and I was alone in my hospital um, room, I wouldn't buzz because I didn't want to be annoying and I felt uncomfortable asking for help. And so it's been this constant thing where I either ask for help and someone has disappointed me or I believe that if I ask for help, I am somehow being a burden to someone else and therefore I resist asking for help. And in either case, what ends up happening is I don't end up receiving the support I need and I use that as evidence to confirm my belief that I don't get support and that what makes it worse is that I will see someone else. I will see someone else that has the nanny they want. They have their family close by. They have all the help they need. And it seems to come to them easily and effortlessly. And I'm like, why? Why not for me? And you might have found something in your life where you feel like you always get the short stick of it. You always get the worst aspect of it. And you feel like other people are so much more fortunate. They're able to receive that thing that you want more easily. But if we don't work through those things, it's just going to keep manifesting. And so it's really important to work on those things. Now, it's also really important to make time for your children's early years, because once you understand how the little teas, the little things that happen in your childhood from maybe a friend you were in class with, or maybe a parent, or maybe a sibling, maybe someone said or did something that just simply hurt your feelings and they didn't mean to. You've understood how this is impacting you. Well, it's also important to understand that your child right now is at that stage. He or she is exactly where you were 20 or 30 or 40 years ago, right? So it's really important to be mindful of that. Now, this is not about being perfect because as a parent, I will never be perfect. And I expect, and I know that I am 100% going to, and have had, 
have made mistakes that my child will probably process through with a therapist. I've heard a joke that says, you know, so many parents are, think about setting aside money for their kids' college funds, but actually you need to set aside money for your kids' therapy. And I actually, to some degree, agree with that, actually. Like if I would have had, let's say, um, a fund for me to see a therapist and for me to do emotional work and for me to do healing, I would have actually been really grateful for that fund. Now I'm investing in that myself, which is just as good. But the point is, is that it was really evident to me that this is an issue. When my daughter asked me a question just the other day, it's literally like two, two days ago, we were cuddling and she asked me, did you love me as a baby? I paused for a second and I was like, yes, I did love you as a baby. However, what was the thing that was really interesting to me was that not only was she curious about whether I loved her as a child, she was curious about how I showed her love as a child. And she was curious about, you know, whether that was real. We can tell them we love them. We can show that we love them. But one day when they get older, they will call us and they will say, can you tell me about my childhood? Because they won't remember. They will only remember a feeling they've had. They will only remember some of the beliefs that they've developed, but they won't remember all the things you've done with them. And so it's really important to be mindful of how you want to show your child love, how you want to show your child really anything so that when they get older and they happen to be four, like my daughter, and they ask a question about what their life with you was like when they were a baby, or they are in their thirties and they call their parents and they say, what was my life like when I was, you know, three or four or five? It's really important that you actually have answers which is that diet and exercise is a necessity and not a luxury. I feel as though when I was in my 20s, I used to think that diet and exercise was something that you did if you really wanted to, if it was something that you were into. At school, you would always have different types of people, some people that would love sport and some people that wouldn't. And I always thought that if you happen to like exercising and eating healthy, then it's something you would keep with you for the rest of your life. But what I discovered was that even I, as someone who has always been passionate about taking care of my health, once I had my kids and I found myself prioritizing my children's schedule and getting things done around the house, getting things done in my business, I, and also having lack of sleep, sleep deprivation is a real major issue. I would find that I wouldn't have the energy or the motivation to work out early in the morning. And I definitely didn't want to work out in the afternoon around my kids because it, it was just so difficult trying to get the kids ready for dinner, bath time, bedtime. By the time they are asleep, the last thing I want to do is go outside for a run when it's pitch black or um, go into my gym. Like, this is just something I just don't want to do. But what I realized is that actually a healthy lifestyle that consists of eating really good food and healthy food and exercising is not a luxury. It's not a luxury that you have time for. Rather, it's a necessity that I need to make time for. Because what I noticed is that I have actually been more tired, more lethargic, I have felt less confident in my body and I just haven't felt like myself. And I've noticed that actually on the mornings that I do set aside 30 minutes of me time to exercise first thing in the morning and to make sure I have my green smoothie, make sure that I have my supplements, make sure that I'm eating healthier foods. I've noticed that when I make time to meditate, when I make time to reflect, to journal my mood, to journal my thoughts, when I do all of those things, my peace of mind is there. I feel so much less anxious. I feel so much less overwhelmed. I feel so much less stressed. And that's when I realized that actually it's not a luxury that I can take advantage of if I have time. It's really a necessity. I am much less stressed without it. And if I want to not feel stressed, 
And in fact, if reducing stress is a necessity for my health, for my children, because kids pick up on your stress levels anyway, and it's a necessity for really my confidence and all the things that I want to do in the world, whether it's in my business, in my marriage, or really just with myself, if it's a necessity, what am I waiting for? And so funnily enough, when I had the realization that actually it's a necessity for me and not just a lifestyle that some people like and some people don't, or a lifestyle that some people have time for and some people don't, when I realized that this is a necessity for me, things really start to shift. I literally had the thought, what if I could wake up at 5.45 a.m.? Now, as someone who has a 14-month-old who has really been sleeping through the night, but she hasn't been sleeping through the night forever. So now that she's sleeping through the night and she's waking up at 7 a.m., why on earth would I want to wake up at 5.45 a.m. when I can now have somewhat of a lay-in? And what I realized is that actually I really, really need to wake up at 5.45 a.m. in order to guarantee that I get my 30-minute workout in. Without it, I don't get a workout. And so um, I had that thought, but then the next thought I had was, oh, I can't be bothered to wake up at 5.45 a.m. Here's the funny thing. The next day, I woke up at 5.45 a.m. naturally. No alarm clock, no nothing. I just woke up at that time. And then the day after that, I woke up naturally at 5.45 and the day after that. And I realized if I'm waking up at 5.45 a.m. effortlessly without an alarm clock, without feeling tired, maybe that's my body actually listening to my intention and actually working with me. Your body can work with you if you tell it what to do. So I was like, okay, so I started working out and I haven't looked back since I have felt so much better. I have had so much more energy. I have felt so much less stress. And even though right now I am going through a bit of a stressful period in my life, I feel so much less stressed than I would be if I would have just been waking up later in the morning, feeling like I'm falling behind, not having breakfast, uh, being hungry and snacking on something unhealthy. Um, snacking on something unhealthy after dinner and just stuck in this rut of not taking care of myself. And I've decided I'm not going to allow myself to not take care of myself anymore. And it's been an absolute game changer. 5.45 sounds dreadful, right? For so many people, it's like, why would you want to wake up at that time? I know some people wake up 5 a.m. and they think it's great or 4 a.m. But I think for your average mom, they don't really want to be waking up at 5.45 a.m. in the morning. However, here's the thing. If your baby was crying and screaming out for you at 5.45 a.m., would you get up? Yes, you would. If you had to go to work and you had to be at work by a certain time and it requires you to wake up by a certain time in order for you to uh, get up, get washed, you know, get your kids dressed, get them fed, take them to nursery or take them to school and get to work on time. If you have to wake up by a certain time in order to get there, what's going to happen? You're going to wake up at that time. The key thing here is that you know that it's necessary. It's necessary for your job. It's necessary for your child. And what I've realized is that my body, I also too, I too have things that are necessary. And when we understand that something is necessary, you'll be surprised how much your body starts working with you. Even if you're sleep deprived, if you wake up at 5.45 a.m. because your kid is up earlier and they're not going to go back to sleep, eventually your body adjusts. And we are able to go weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months and months, adjusting to whatever our children need even if it's not perfect, even if we're sleep deprived, even if we're tired because it's exhausting. However, when I take the time to exercise, I'm not leaving the workout feeling exhausted at the end of it. The opposite. It's not like working at waking up early for a job I don't like. It's not like waking up for a baby that I wish would go back to sleep. I'm waking up for myself and I actually start releasing endorphins. I actually start feeling stronger. I actually start feeling confident and it's the complete opposite effect. And so it actually ends up being something that's quite easy to sustain because you get a lot more out of it than what you essentially put in. The fifth thing that I learned is how important it is to manage your money better than anything. One of the things that I realized is that Money is one of those things where it's so easy for it to come in and for it to go out. Whether you have your own income or you have um, a partner's income or you have a joint income, the money comes in and 
very easily the money goes out. And what I've realized is that unless you consciously are thinking about how you are spending your money, whether you are saving it, whether you are investing it, whether you are paying off debt, unless you're really mindful with how you're spending your money, it's very easy to essentially develop bad money habits. And these bad money habits can be expenditures that are not only unnecessary, but that are actually a waste of your money. In other words, for what you spend, you don't get that much value added to your life. In addition to that, you could be missing out on things you want to save for, things you want to invest for. And the real kicker for me was when I reflected on how my husband and I managed our finances. Well, before we got married, he used to have his account, I used to have my account, and we used to have our joint account. And we would put you know, things like our rent, um, all that sort of stuff in the joint account. But the majority of our expenses were separate. And then we started to have credit cards when we got a little bit older and he would have his credit cards and then I would have my credit cards. And then when we got married, my husband would just say, yeah, you can use my credit card. And I would end up using his credit cards, but we never actually had a conversation about what limits were in the account, what was an appropriate amount to use, how much was being paid off. We never had any of those conversations. And so even though I was always trying to be mindful of not overspending, I never actually knew whether I was spending too much or too little because I didn't actually know how much we had. And even though we eventually decided to have that conversation, because we had so many accounts, his accounts, my accounts, joint accounts, credit cards, his credit cards, my credit cards, because we had all of that, it actually became really difficult to actually track our expenses. I would literally spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours trying to analyze our expenditures. And it was always a stress ball until I decided, you know what? I want to be a money queen. I want to be amazing at receiving money. I want to be abundant. But what is the point of being abundant if I don't know how to manage and multiply the money that I receive? And so I actually decided to simplify everything. So I said to my husband, you know what? Let's simplify it all. Let's just, let's get rid of the credit cards let's just use our joint account. Let's put all of our money in our joint account. Let's put all of our expenses in our joint account. That way, both of us have complete and utter transparency over what we actually have every month and what is going to what. And we have complete oversight. And it was life-changing. Ever since that decision, not only did we never need to use a credit card ever again. Um, we've been able to pay off our debts and it's just been phenomenal. And we're now investing. It's a, We're in a much, much better place financially. And this shift really happened within six months. Now, if I hadn't had this realization six months ago, we would have probably been incurring more debt. I would have felt more overwhelmed with our finances and I would have just been stuck in the same financial rut. And this was just life-changing. So I definitely recommend that you really have a think about your finances. And if you don't feel at peace with money, if you don't feel at peace with how much you have and how much you're spending, if you don't have clarity over how much you're spending relative to how much is coming in, I really, really, really encourage you to find that out. Even if you are a mom that is raising the kids full time and you are not the breadwinner, I 100% recommend talking to your partner, talking to them about their income, about their accounts, and actually setting aside the time to look into your accounts so that you are able to make the wisest financial decisions that will pay you and your family dividends in the years to come. It's hard to make those wise decisions if you're not really sure what the landscape is. So think about budgeting, saving, investing, paying off your debt, retirement planning, which is something I don't really think about, but actually if you're a mom raising your kids, it's unlikely you'll be putting anything into your pension and you really need to start thinking about your retirement planning because men that are con continuously in work and are continuously adding to their pension, they have a pension. We don't. So, or at least it's not adding up as much because we are not earning a salary that is also contributing to the pension. So that's really important. Also building your credit. I think this is super important so that if you ever need credit for whatever reason, you have the ability to do that. So always get clear on your credit score. Uh, one of the 
my favorite apps for this is Credit Karma. To be fair, I use all of the credit referencing agencies. I've paid for their membership fees. I've tracked my credit score and I've improved my credit score significantly simply by being aware of everything. And also protecting your assets, really being aware of how you can maybe put certain things in a trust and how you can manage and protect your assets. This is a really important thing. Now, I don't have much knowledge on this just yet, but I know that this is something that my husband is really passionate about and it's something that uh, a, a good financial advisor would advise you on. And so, yes, yes, yes. Think about this for sure. The next thing is that, well, the sixth thing is that it's easier to make friends than you think. I wish I would have known this so much sooner. I feel as though, even though I have this podcast, even though I put myself out there online a lot, even though I share a lot about myself online, I'm actually a really shy person in real life. I have gone to school birthday parties and barely talked to anyone in the room because I'm scared to my pants about actually saying hi to someone new. I am a bit confident. Actually, I am confident when I talk to someone, but usually when I'm meeting someone new for the first time in a social context where I feel like some people know each other and I don't really know anyone, I am really, really shy. And I really struggled with figuring out how to make friends. I have always had friends, but I think there's something, you may have realized this too, there's something about making friends at school and there's something about making friends with people at university or college or making friends with people at work. But when you become a full-time mother and you're no longer in a work environment, you're no longer in a school environment, you're no longer in a, in a context where friendships are naturally being made because you're seeing these people every single day, whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's in the office, whether it's in, the, it's in class, it can be really hard to know how you're going to make new friends, particularly if you have moved to a new city and you don't know anyone. When I moved to Oxfordshire, which is the area that I live in, I knew no one, absolutely no one. And the only connection I had was that I used to go to a church in London and that church also had a branch in Oxford and it was so sweet of them to contact the Oxford branch and let them know that my family and I were moving to the Oxfordshire area because one of the members of the church literally waited outside my house for our moving truck to come to our front door and they were waiting for us with flowers and a welcome gift and I just thought that was so sweet they really didn't have to do that and yet they did but even though I developed that friendship, I didn't know anyone. And I spent a, a good year and a half not really socializing until I realized, you know what? I should actually just say hi and ask for someone's number. Even though if I am going out on a night out and a guy asks for my number, I feel like, really? Why would you ask for my number? I mean, this doesn't happen anymore because I'm in my 30s. I'm married. I'm, I'm not exactly in a nightclub at you know 7 p.m. anymore. I mean, not that you go at 7 p.m., but you know what I mean? Like I'm in bed by like 9 or 10 p.m. So I'm not exactly in a situation where a guy would ask my number, but I used to always feel like asking for someone's number is like when you're out at a nightclub and you're meeting a guy and he thinks you're cute or you think he's cute and you're asking for each other's numbers. And I always thought that that was fine, but it never felt appropriate with a girl. I always wondered whether I was just going like over the top, whether they would have just not been interested in exchanging numbers. But actually what I found is that when I go to a mom group, a baby class, a playground, um, a soft play center, if I strike a conversation with a woman that I think is interesting, is funny, and we clearly connect, I will just ask straight up, hey, can I have your number? It'd be great to meet up with you. And funnily enough, for a lot of the women I've asked that conversation to, they said, oh my goodness, thank you. I actually don't know many people here. And so I realized that even though I had this thought that other people had way more active social lives and would have no interest in being friends with me whatsoever. What I actually found was that so many of the moms I spoke to, they too really would have liked someone to just reach out and say, hey, do you want to meet up again? And since that, I've actually made so many new friendships. And now I am... I have an abundance of friendships. I have more friendships than what I had in my corporate life. I have more friendships than I had when I was at college and a university. I had more friendships than I had when I was at school. And it's great because these friendships, 
are not only of women in my neighborhood, but they are also for both of my children. And so my kids have also been able to make so many more friends outside of the ones that they know at school, which is amazing. So our social life now is so much more active. And I wish I would have known sooner that it would be active if I was just willing to relax and ask another woman or mama for her number and nurture that relationship and to know that my friendships would get better and better as I get older, so long as I'm willing to not be shy. Seventh thing is that it's never too late to go back to school. I used to see on Instagram videos of women that would graduate and they would be celebrating with their child that was four or five or seven. And they would talk about how hard it was to study whilst breastfeeding or bottle feeding or looking after their kid. And I remember seeing those videos and thinking, oh my goodness, these women are so inspiring. But at the same time, I also had the thought of, I could never do that. I used to have this very firm picture of the timeline that I wanted to stick to. I wanted to go to university, get my degree, work for a while, find love, get married, have my kids settle down in our house. And I wanted that to be it. I didn't want the studying to somehow end up being moved to after I had my kids. I didn't want to visualize how that would work out. I just wanted everything to, to fit what I thought was a perfect timeline. But what I've realized is that so many things in life change, your interests change, your situation change, and what I notice is that now I actually have the freedom to explore whatever I want to do with my career, whatever it is. When I was 21, I thought I had that option, but I didn't have the maturity to really reflect on what I wanted to do. I was still living under the, the impression that I was supposed to do a certain type of career because you're going to university with people and they're studying this topic and they are choosing this career path and it felt as though there was a limited number of things that were appropriate for my skill set based on my degree what i didn't actually realize was that there were so many more things i could do and i really had the freedom and the choice to decide now that i am older now that i'm more aware of what i'm really passionate about not what my friends are doing not what i think society expects of me not what i think will get me respected in this world and i'm really just aware of what i want and what i find enjoyable i've realized that actually it's probably worth that i go back to school i have no idea if i'll even be able to see things through to the end but despite there being no certainty of whether this career change will work despite there being no certainty of what will be the outcome of this i knew that it was important that i actually made the time to study and to allow the opportunities to come Whatever opportunity is meant to happen as a result of this will come and I just need to be willing to try. And I am so grateful that I have because now I have so many more options available to me than if I would have not. Last but not least, it's the realization that it's a good thing if your identity changes. One of the things that I realized is that I really thought that my identity was going to stay the same. For some reason, I kind of knew as a child that, you know, when I'm four or when I'm eight or when I'm 12, 16, 20, I knew that at those different stages in my life that I would be a different person because I would see children that were older, I would see people that looked bigger and I would know that I would be bigger and I would look different physically, emotionally, um, even with my voice and my mannerisms and my communication. I knew so much about me would be different. And I also knew that my interests would probably change. But for some reason, it's almost as though once I hit a certain age, I didn't really know how I could or would change. There's a saying that, you know, sometimes um, if you are meeting someone or you're dating someone in their 30s or your, their 40s, there's a saying that by that point, they are stuck in their ways. They're not going to change, which is not always true. I don't think it's an age. It's, I don't think it's necessarily an age thing because people can always change for whatever reason. But there is a saying generally that once you hit a certain age, you, you kind of just set in your own ways partly because you have developed patterns 
beliefs, ways of thinking, and that ends up really dictating your behavior and your perspective. And unless you're willing to change your perspective, you just don't. It's kind of like with music. Uh, I think once you hit 30, you're less likely to listen to new music. Once you hit a certain age, you're less likely to try new things unless you are someone that is naturally adventurous and curious and constantly learning. But even within that framework, you might not be as adventurous as maybe you were in your 20s or your late teens. So I say this to say that I reached a point where I didn't know how I would change until I had my kids. And once I had my kids and I felt like I was losing my identity, I was stuck because I thought that I was supposed to hold on to the identity that I had spent my 20s forming, which was this career-focused, career-minded woman that was independent and that was helping people, uh, well, helping women excel in their career and break through glass ceilings and increase their income. And that was the identity that I had. And yet here I was with two children. I'd given up my business. I had given up my job in venture capital because I was struggling to make it work with my family commitments. And it was just super duper difficult for me to grasp how different I was. I was suddenly this stay-at-home mom and I never ever saw myself being a stay-at-home mom. And I did not like the way that my identity was changing. As someone who has... Uh, always been afraid of being financially dependent on my partner. It's not really about my partner, but really any man. I've always thought it was important for women to be financially independent of a man. You know, all the ladies independent. You know, it's kind of like all the music we've heard, all the experiences we've had, even our childhood experiences teach us that it's really important to be financially independent because you don't know what could happen. You're husband could cheat on you. He could be abusive. He could lose his job. He could be someone you don't want to be with anymore and you're stuck. And it was really hard to face the reality that I had become the very woman I was terrified of being. And I just did not want my identity to change. But what I actually realized, which I'm actually going to be talking more about in next week's video. So definitely stay tuned for that if you want to know more about identity changing, particularly if you have felt you've lost your identity along the way. What I realized is that actually losing my identity was one of the best things that could have happened to me. And that actually it's a good thing if your identity changes. It's Identity is really the beliefs you had, your character, your traits, your the, the things that you, the way that you perceive yourself. And it's important that this changes because if you perceive yourself negatively, it's important that that changes. If you perceive yourself to be someone that is independent, it can be hard for you to, to, to develop a relationship with someone where you can depend on them. In order for a certain dynamic to work in a marriage or in a relationship, it does require a shift in beliefs. It requires faith. And in order for a, a working mother to embrace the stay-at-home mother journey, it requires a shift. And in order for mothering to be easier, it requires a shift in identity. And so actually identity shifting is amazing because it enables us to actually grow into the roles we are trying to grow into. It enables us to expand and actually lift the limit. You know, there is an upper limit often on what we feel we can hold, whether it's the love we can hold, the financial abundance we can hold, the, the success we can hold, the family we can hold. In order for us to hold more, we need to be able to expand and grow. And we can't grow if we're remaining the same. And so this realization has been absolutely life-changing because I've been able to really step into being a full-time mother. I've been able to really have faith in my husband and see how that manifests in our life. I've been really able to focus on my family and raise my kids the way that I would love to raise them. And I've been able to enjoy my life as opposed to feeling anxious or feeling as though I have lost a sense of myself. In fact, I have just realized that I've matured and that all the things that I'm passionate about, all the things that I love, all the things that I want to do, I still get to do them either now or in the future. I haven't lost anything that's important to me. I've just 
prioritize different things and I can still prioritize things today. I always have that freedom and that's just been amazing. But anyways, that's it from today's episode. I am so sorry about the, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm so sorry about the visual change. I, it's my worst nightmare to pop onto YouTube without makeup on. Um, but you know what, whatever, I'm going to talk to you like we're best friends and I'm going to just hang out with you as if I'm sharing with you some of the key insights. And I would love to know which of these insights really resonated with you. Uh, leave a comment in the box below. If you're listening to this podcast on Apple uh, podcast or Spotify, you know the drill. Please leave a review on podcast because it makes a massive difference every time someone leaves a review on the um, Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify. It increases the chances of another mother or another person discovering this podcast. And this would be my dream. This is my dream job: helping women really navigate the changes they're experiencing and helping women feel more joy as they raise their family and they have a relationship with someone they really care about. I want us to feel more joy because yeah, our children are the future, but also our happiness matters. I feel like mothers really kind of get forgotten about in society. So much effort is placed on work. So much effort is placed on materialism. So much effort is placed on uh, being a productive member of society. And when I think about what mothers need, whether it's our pregnancy care, whether it's our first year after giving birth, whether it's our child care, there's so many systems that are failing women. And it's really important to me that I share things that hopefully, hopefully make being a mother a little bit easier and a little bit more joyful. So please, please, please do share this podcast with a friend, leave a review. And yeah, anyways, that's it. Thank you so much for listening to the video and I shall catch up with you again soon. All right. Bye.